episode I I don't know I was I was debating what topic I wanted to bring up because there were several that I felt like addressing at this time and if I had I mean this podcast just started so I don't have an audience yet and at some point I can do like a Q&A but um Maybe I'll just sort of freestyle a bit about um, autism, having autism as a woman, or maybe I should just focus on the subject of having autism as a woman rather than as a boy, (laughs) you know, or even as a man. Um, And why we just haven't heard very much about autism in the context of um, girls and especially women before, I don't know, the last, I I have just now been hearing people broach the subject and this is just online, um, except for the clinic I, where I went to get assessed there. Oh, and I did meet, actually, I do have a friend who, um, who told me that she was autistic and I have known her for over 10 years and she would be considered high functioning by um, the standards that are put in place, which is IQ over 70 and no, no delay in speech. Uh, however, I don't know who um, assessed her. I don't know if she self-diagnosed um, I don't know, but at least, I mean, it was actually interesting because she's the one who recognized it in me. Um, I, there are several people who recognize it in me, but she was probably one of the first to um, ask me if I was on the spectrum. It was when she saw me rocking on my bed and I I had even asked myself the question too, because I noticed other stimming things that I did or stereotypies, and I probably will do a whole episode about stims, but um, no, I was aware that, uh, that I did certain things, but it's not until somebody really points it out to you and says, hey, have you considered getting tested for autism because... In other parts of the world, besides the United States, England, for example, if you go on YouTube and you try to find um, videos about women with autism, everyone has a British accent or some people have other types of accents too. But for the most part, you're going to find these... um, these videos, these vlogs made by girls and women who have some kind of accent indicating that they're not from uh, the U.S. or Canada. So they're, they're really ahead of us, as far as I know. And this friend of mine who said that she's probably autistic and has a lot of autistic family members, 
brought this to my attention. And yeah, it, it is interesting. Um, however, I know that in England, if you have, if you want to get assessed, you may well be waiting a year, year and a half, two years, because you're going to be on a list, unless you want to go private. And if you do go private, your diagnosis may or may not be usable within the system if you need benefits or any kind of services. And uh, also they have somewhat of a bad reputation because women who know they're autistic or in their minds, they know 100% they're autistic, but they didn't get their diagnosis um, through the public system. So um, they had to go private in order to obtain their diagnosis. And that's perceived as doctor shopping uh, sometimes. So there's kind of a stigma around that as well. But at least it's talked about more over there. Here in the United States, I honestly do not hear conversations among women um, or non-males, I should say, around the subject of um, Asperger's, as it was called, high-functioning autism, as it is sometimes called. Profound autism, yes, back in the day when autism was just autistic disorder or profound autism, that's when the female would be recognized as autistic because her disability was so remarkable that there was no getting around it and she was going to be diagnosed very early in life. The ones who had what would come to be known as Asperger's, they were not diagnosed because their symptoms were too subtle and maybe they would get pushed into a category called weird or shy or even pathologically shy, you know. For myself, I know... I had some um, symptoms that that were considered a part of shyness. I had selective mutism, which I prefer to call situational mutism. And that is that if I'm uh, in it, or then especially I'm talking about as a child between maybe the ages of four and five and like maybe freshman or sophomore year in high school, if I was around good friends or at home, I would talk. But if I was in a class or a group where I didn't either I didn't trust the other kids or the other people or I didn't know them or I knew that they didn't like me or they were bullying me, then I could not talk. And it's kind of like what the Victorians used to call hysteria and what is now called psychogenic disorder, where you just you know you can do it physically but your mind is preventing you from being able to do it. So that's what was going on. And a lot of autistics had that when they were growing up. And I know I can still get that. I have been in relationships in my life where I wasn't able to speak around the partner. And in the in one case, in the beginning, my the partner in question was understanding about it. But I guess he kind of forgot that I had the problem when we started dating. 
and getting into a relationship because then he would complain that I didn't talk enough. And so it, it, it can definitely interfere with your life. Um, having autism as a female can also get you diagnosed with borderline personality disorder because of the intense um, mood dysregulation. Same with bipolar or it can get you diagnosed with schizophrenia because there's something that's called the negative symptoms, which means that uh, elements are being taken away from the person. And that can get confused um, with autism too. So, and if you, if you look up the definition of schizoid personality disorder, that's like an older person's, you know, sometimes your psychologist, if you're older, is going to default to that if you're male. And then um, if you're a, a young, if you're a boy, they will default to something on the spectrum. So there is something there. And it doesn't mean that if you are a female and you have... Uh, you're on the spectrum that you cannot have borderline because you can. It doesn't mean that you can not be comorbid with depression, anxiety, or bipolar because you can, and it's actually quite common, but it just means that there's a lot of overlap in the symptoms and sometimes misdiagnosis happens. And the longer you go in a state of, of misdiagnosis when you're trying to do therapy or trying to use services, the more time you're wasting uh, because the less time you are spending not getting the kind of help you need. And suicidal ideation and suicidal behavior being what it is in the autism and uh, the whether it doesn't matter whether it's adult females with autism or girls with autism, autistics suffer from suicidal behavior and suicidal ideation quite a bit more than the general public. So the more you let this stuff go, the more that accumulates. And I know for myself, it's the case, even though I have other um, psychiatric conditions. I know a couple of my psychiatric conditions are 100% sure. Uh, the anorexia nervosa and the OCD. Now, those are very often also comorbid with autism, but they can also be elements of autism. So that's what we're trying to tease out right now. Um, so those also hold their own suicide statistics for ideation as well as behavior. Um, and uh, behavior includes attempted and completed suicides. In the autism world, there are more completed suicides by female autistics. And in the neurotypical world, uh, there are more completed suicides by neurotypical men than by neurotypical women, but there are more attempts by neurotypical women. And uh, supposedly it's because the methods that a woman will gravitate to, like overdosing on medication, is not as effective as what a man will gravitate towards, which is a lot of the time a gun, you know, 
let's face it. So there are some differences between men and women and hormones have something to do with it. I know that my friends who go on hormones because they're transitioning or they, for whatever reason, the hormones are changing what they're interested in. They're changing what propensities they have. Um, it's, it's a fact and the brain is gendered and the brain is also not gendered. It depends what you're talking about, what you're referring to. And there's also neuroplasticity, thank the goddess, because at least that way we know that things that at least could change if we put ourselves on a better track. But in order to do that, you have to have the help. I don't know what they do in societies where no one has even heard the word autism. And it doesn't really matter if you call it autism or schizoid personality disorder or whatever. It doesn't matter what word you use, but the concept has to be understood. It has to be identified and it has to be understood for what it is. And then it has to be treated. So that's three steps right there. And there are a lot of societies where that is just not something that is ever going to happen because either it's not conceptualized that way and never will be, or there's a lot of stigma around getting treatment for mental health and having anything that is different about your neurology or about your mental health. And let's face it, if you have a neurodivergent condition in a society that does not celebrate neurodiversity, most likely you are going to end up with some kind of mental health consequence, be it um, generalized anxiety or social phobia or some kind of um, maybe a persistent depression, a dysphoria or a dysthymia of some kind. So it can get complex. Um, so yeah, when we think of someone who is autistic, still, and, and this isn't just me, it's what I've been reading and what I've been, um, hearing in videos and so forth, and reading in serious publications, as well as the popular kind of media and social media, people still have in their head a toddler or young child who is male and who is white. And I know the label Asperger's doesn't exist anymore, but people still do use it. And that label is more likely to be um, stuck onto somebody who is white, whose parents are in, are, are very educated. Um than on a, a person of a, a child of color. Child of color might have high functioning autism used, and there used to be a slight difference actually, because um, Asperger's has no speech delay and is associated with an average to um, high IQ, whereas high functioning autism, even though um, you know, there's no, even though they're high functioning, so there's no like huge mental or cognitive impairment, 
it still it does not have the shiny white aura that Asperger's once had. And and if you'll notice, a lot of people still want to be called Aspies. And I think maybe in the ICD, Asperger's are still there. Um, and that's another thing I want to talk about is Asperger's identity. And correct me if I should be saying Asperger's or something. I know that's not how the name was actually said, but because everyone thinks of Asperger's, probably even in countries where it's not even pronounced that way, it's come to a point where people have had to start pronouncing it Asperger's. And so our concept of what an autistic looks like, what gender they have or identify with, what age they are, all that has to be reworked and revised and reconceptualized because it may turn out that it's not one female autistic for every four male autistics. It may be closer to two to one or even one to one. We just need to learn how to identify the autism better because it will express differently in different people. If you're a girl, um, it's going to express differently because not only are girls socialized differently, but there are different hormones. And if you look uh, in the uterus, the brain is already developing in a way that is later determined to be autistic. So there's just a lot that goes into this. So I want to end here and I will have another episode up, I'm sure, shortly. Meow, have an autastic rest of your day. Bye.